0: We have celebrated the Gateway to the West today because the the arch is 57 years old.
1: It's five years older than I am. Yay!
0: <laughs> so we're coming up on a big anniversary, but uh, I have yet to be to the new uh, park, the new museum, and everything. Have you been there yet?
1: I have. I've not. I had friends that came in a couple of years ago and. One of them was afraid of heights, but she said she still wanted to go up. And we did all the things. And then there was an art installation that a friend of my mother-in-law's was doing at the base. And so I've been to all of the things around the brand new Jefferson Expansion Memorial.
0: Uh Aha. And uh, the uh, yeah, that it took a while, but apparently it's just gorgeous and beautiful. And I'm excited to do that at some point. Well, well you we know have- the thing
1: the thing about the arches if you're local you don't go in it until somebody from out of town comes into town and wants to go. Oh yeah that's here.
0: <laughs> yes. And then for the fireworks for uh there's no there's no place better to see the fireworks it's just so gorgeous. Well we have another St. Louis connection today that we're talking to we are talking to Charlie Bosworth, who had a byline in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch for 20 years. And I know him from the Metro East Journal. <laughs> <laughs> and he has written seven true crime books. Is that right, Charlie?
2: That's right. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: Well, we are, we are thrilled for you with the success of Bone Deep because this is the real true crime behind the scenes story of Pam up and all the craziness, the perfect storm with all the missteps and the miscalculations that led to the imprisonment of Russell. Korea. I just Korea. wanted to double check. Korea. See, Korea. I didn't
1: watch. I didn't watch any of the Datelines or the Renee Zellweger miniseries, but Lynn watched everything.
0: well actually i didn't i didn't see the dateline there were six datelines just about pam hub i know but i know so charlie you started with the paula sims case is that correct with your that's right
2: that's right i was still at the post-dispatch and i think i'm the only reporter that covered that case from the very beginning to the very end uh and uh the prosecutor, Don Weber, and I, after the trial, uh, got together and uh, decided that we'd try to put a book together. And uh, that's how it all started.
0: What a case. That was such a case. Well, my uh, friend and a colleague, the late Jane Matthews, she got on it for the News Democrat. And uh, yeah. uh, oh, my goodness gracious. That was quite the tale. Well, what fascinated you about this case to collaborate with the, the defense attorney on, on Bone Deep?
2: Well, I had followed it uh, from the beginning. Uh, and when all this happened, I, I left the post in 99. So I wasn't a reporter anymore. I was doing corporate communications. And when this happened, uh, I probably would have been working for uh, a law firm uh, in downtown St. Louis uh, when the when the murder occurred. Uh, but I remember the first Dateline, and I was just uh, incredulous as I watched the story about uh, this uh, th- this guy who had uh, what sounded like and uh, appeared to be an airtight alibi, uh, who was convicted and was now in prison uh, for murder that uh, it appeared, uh, at least to me, based on the facts presented uh, by Dateline. Uh, that he there's no way he could have committed and uh, so I watched that case uh, just out of professional curiosity uh, over the years because it was local yes absolutely Uh, and I did not know uh, Joel Schwartz uh, at the time uh, but I knew of him Uh, so I was interested to follow his participation in the case Um, but um, a would have been at 2019. I was getting ready to retire uh, from uh, my last job with Jet Aviation, uh, which was at the uh, airport in Cahokia, uh, Swiss uh, Swiss-based global company um, that uh, completes and maintains corporate and private jets. Um, I did the communications for them for six or seven years. And I was thinking about getting back into writing and uh, sitting at my desk one day. And, and this case popped into my head for some reason. And uh, just on a lark, I picked up uh, the phone and called Joel and uh, introduced myself and asked him if he had entertained any offers uh, to write a book. And he said, yeah, that he he had many, many offers for books and movies and documentaries and just about every kind of uh, media application you can think of, uh, but that he had never uh, decided to write the book and uh, hadn't hadn't really talked to anyone that that he was interested in working with. So uh, so we chatted for a while on the phone, and I could hear him googling me in the background. <laughs> and uh, and he he said, you know, he said, I noticed that you worked with some co-authors, and I said, yes, that's right, I've I've done. I think four of the six books I had done at that time were with co-authors, and um, so I, I said, "Would you be interested in a co-authorship?" And he said, "Yes, I would." So anyway, we then we met, had lunch, and uh, decided uh, decided to take a chance at it. Um, and uh, we hit it off very well. Uh, Joel is terrific. Uh, what a what a brain and uh, what a what a great personality. And, uh, we seemed to hit it off personally and professionally. And, uh, so we, uh, we started working on it, uh, got a proposal together and I went directly to the editor that I'd had for the, for, for the first six books we did. And, uh, since I don't have an agent right now, because, uh, unfortunately my agent passed while, uh, while I was not working on books. So I went directly to my, uh, my editor who's at kensington now and uh and they sent her the proposal and uh, they bought the book and we were off and running
0: well i know it's been highly regarded because there's a proliferation of books on this case and also um the interest in the case just grew and it doesn't it doesn't hurt when a mini series is made about it then then everybody goes well what sets your book apart from the fray? yeah.
2: Well, it's it's truly the inside story. Uh, of course, Russ uh, Faria cooperated with us uh, and was very involved in the entire process. Um, I, I can't even remember how many times I met with him individually and I met with him and Joel. And of course, I met with Joel more times than I can count. And uh, uh, so I, I was able to, to really present russ's thought process uh which others uh, don't have uh uh, the uh the datelines and the uh the miniseries the thing about pam miniseries uh could do that to some degree because russ did cooperate with them from the beginning um and russ and joel were uh very cooperative uh with the making of the miniseries
1: because he was Uh, trying like he was trying to get off
2: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly and uh and of course, Russ is uh, very grateful to Joel for everything he did, and uh, I I think would do just about anything Joel asked you to do, and uh, so we yeah we worked together on the book, um, and uh, of course I have all of uh, the documentation I have uh, and I have all of Joel's inner workings inner thoughts while he was proceeding with this. Um, and uh, to be honest, uh, as someone who's covered hundreds of cases uh, for uh, the two newspapers that I worked on, uh, I and I always thought, you know, after a while, you get to the place where you think I could, I could do a legal, I could do a trial, you know, I, I could, <laughs> do, I could be a defense attorney, I could be a prosecutor. I know most of the, I know most of the uh, requirements and the laws. And, but anyway, I. As we got into this case, I just became increasingly shocked that Joel Joel's head didn't explode at some point uh, because I've never seen the the kind of uh, uh, of court rulings and uh, the prosecution like like I saw in this case uh, just absolutely unbelievable. Um, but I think it's the it's the personal engagement with uh, the two main characters. Uh, that sets us apart uh, from anything else
1: did you talk to chris hayes from channel two at all
2: i did yes i did
1: because I... he did more than 50 reports on all of this stuff yes
2: yeah uh he uh played a very big role in uh in russ getting a new trial uh chris uh in the book i know after the right after the verdict uh, i think it's the next chapter um, I started with, uh, I opened with one of Chris's reports and I start by saying, you know, if the judge didn't get it, you know, the uh, reporter certainly did. And, uh, and I then quoted at length from, uh, from Chris's report. Uh, unfortunately, because of the NBC uh, Fox uh, conflict, uh, Chris, he couldn't. couldn't really uh, cooperate uh, too much he did talk to we did talk a lot uh but uh he couldn't really get too involved uh with the book or we, and certainly with the miniseries which was a shame uh because he certainly des- deserves a lot of credit as does robert patrick uh late at the post-dispatch um the chris and robert uh, uh joined in an unusual partnership uh to investigate the case after uh, after the verdict um and uh my uh, my best friend uh, pat Gowan was the uh, crime editor for the post dispatch at the time and he recounted the meeting that he and robert had with uh, the fox news team and uh, pat went in with a fairly heavy dose of skepticism and uh, by the time it was over he was just absolutely convinced that a great injustice had been done and that uh, that they needed to do anything they could to uh to to write that wrong that's good. I worked with Pat at the globe i know yeah <laughs> well he, i just
0: just had lunch with him a week ago oh yeah he's good man good he's man great. had had ran into the Gluck buzz saw <laughs> yeah. but he yeah. land he landed at the post so that he was uh, that was good well he did What's mind-boggling to me is I read uh, Jeanette uh, Bats Cooper uh, Bats Cooperman's uh, a piece in the St. Louis yes. Magazine, which is a brilliant news article detailing all the um, uh, all the missteps and how Pam got away with it. Absolutely, and um, it's just mind-boggling all the things that went wrong when. Yeah. When you were, um, and then, well, thank God it turned out okay, but why do you think everything just fell apart for this poor man? I just, the whole time I'm watching the said, I'm like, oh my God, this poor man.
2: Yeah. Well, Lynn, I'm sure you've had the experience of, but uh, the people I feel sorriest for are the average people who get dragged into the court system uh, because it's a different world and uh, the average person isn't prepared to deal with it. Um, and, and that's kind of what happened to Russ. Um, if he had uh, hired an attorney at the, as soon as the police uh, arrived at the house and took him, they, they, they didn't call it taking him into custody. They asked him to go to the police station and help them, you know, give them information that, for their investigation. And they then held him for almost 48 hours. Um, and uh, Joel said, he wished Russ had contacted him from the beginning. Uh, so, he, and he, of course, he would have told him not to say anything without an attorney present. Uh, but Russ thought he was helping with the investigation. And if you watch the video of of the hours that the police spent interrogating him, um, it's just mind blowing. Uh, anybody who could watch that and believe that Russ was guilty of of murdering Betsy and was covering it up and was acting uh, as a grief-stricken husband. Um, I, I don't know how you can possibly come to that conclusion, which is what the police did immediately. Um, so you have the, the police um, and the phrase that has been used so often is confirmation bias. Um, the police uh, start an investigation, they decide, and this isn't all the police, certainly. Uh, I don't mean to, to imply that. What happened here was they uh, uh, started the investigation. They decided immediately, almost from the first minute, uh, that Russ was guilty, and uh, that's the way they proceeded. Um, the The interrogation you can tell is aimed at that that way. Um, They do claim to have investigated some other suspects, uh, but it was uh, it was shallow, and, and there wasn't any real. Uh, attempt and they certainly just ignored uh, all of the red flags that Pam Hupp sent up once she got involved in the investigation. Um, so you, you start there, then you go to the prosecutor. The prosecutor hadn't handled a case of this magnitude, um, and uh, she bought into the police theory from the first minute. And, uh, and took it from there uh, as a prosecutor would. And uh, by the time it got to court, um, Russ was unlucky enough to draw uh, an inexperienced judge. Uh, she had had one trial, a, a very small trial, um, and she'd never tried a murder case, even as an attorney. Um, and she, uh, she, was, she was a local local girl who knew, uh, the prosecutor and, uh, I think, you know, kind of wanted to be in the prosecutor's group, you know, and, uh, and she ruled right down the line for the prosecution and, uh, and just stripped away all of the weapons that, uh, Joel should have had, uh, when the trial, uh, when it w- went to trial, he, as, as I say in the book many times, he was certain that this would never go to trial. Um, he couldn't believe, you know, from the very beginning, as soon as he started looking at the police reports and the discovery, he was convinced that, uh, that uh, a, uh, a competent prosecutor would look at all of the evidence and go, okay, this, you know, we're, we're dismissing this case. This guy didn't do it. Uh, and, of course, that's not what happened. And I think when you used the the phrase perfect storm and I think that's what we had here. We had every possible error, every possible factor that could have gone against Russ did. Uh, the only thing, uh, that he had in his corner, which was, uh, certainly, uh, uh, admirable and uh, powerful was Joel and, uh, and Joel's, uh, absolute dedication and, uh, uh, I've talked to him so many times about, the, about the, the impact of that first verdict of the conviction. And, uh, and it's still an emotional conversation for Joel. Uh, and uh, he, he said he, you know, he'd been doing this for, oh, man, 25 years or so, 20 years uh, when, the, when he, he uh, defended Russ. But uh, he said he rarely lost sleep over a case, but he lost a lot of sleep, especially after the conviction over this case.
0: Yeah, it's just it is truly mind-boggling. Well, the reason we're talking about the book today is that you are going to be featured at the St. Louis Jewish Book Festival, the 44th annual. And right. it is coming up next week. And you and Joel are going to talk about the book and have a Q&A on November 7th which is next a week from Monday. Right. So uh, that's we want to alert people's attention to that because you have uh, new revelations in the book and never disclosed information. So um, what give us a tease on what some of the things the that you have that nobody else had.
2: Well, we we found some things that uh, 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 like uh, some comments by the jurors after. Trial that uh, uh, when I talked to Robert Patrick, he said he had, and Robert did a great job tracking down jurors and, and getting some information. But there were some things that we found out uh, that jurors said uh, and discussed uh, that you know Robert uh, said he he wasn't aware of until he saw the book. Uh, and I think we uh, we have a lot of information that most people aren't aware of about Pam Hupp's background and uh, and. The, the whole in, involvement of, of a head injury that she suffered. Um, and I talked to some people very close to, to Pam Hub, uh, who said that uh, her personality changed radically uh, after this head injury. And she was treated at length uh, for a head injury and, and which also left her with some, uh, some physical issues. Um, it, not to the degree that Pam said on, on several different occasions, uh, she couldn't get it right. Did she have a memory problem? Oh, no, not at all. I don't have any memory issues. Do you have a memory problem? Oh yeah, I can't remember, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, there's a whole series of contradictions. And uh, Joel calls them just flat out lies that she told, trying to keep her story together and trying to address things that came up during the investigation. Uh, there was a horrible uh, conflict uh, about phone call a phone call that she made to Betsy after she had left Betsy at the house um, the night of the murder. And she claimed, first she said she didn't go in the house with Betsy. She just dropped her off. Then when they asked her again, she said, yeah, she did go in for a few minutes um, because there weren't any lights on and she wanted to go in and help get Betsy get some lights on. Um, then it was, uh, well, it could have been 20 minutes. She went in and Betsy showed her some of her Christmas presents and uh, it could have been 40 minutes. Um, and, uh, when she left, uh, one point Pam said when she left, Betsy was on the couch covered up with a, with a blanket, getting ready to watch a movie. Uh, then she said that, uh, Betsy escorted her to the door and waved goodbye to her from the door as she drove away. Um, and the lies just continued from there. I mean, it, it was the, they were rampant and the police uh, just refused to see them as lies. And there's a great deal of information based on depositions and testimony uh, from the police um, about why they accepted uh, Pam's uh, Pam's stories with uh, uh, with with such uh, without any any real uh, questioning or uh, any real doubt. Um, The the one thing that I think is remarkable is while Joel was just starting to read the the police file uh, very shortly after he got into the case um, and his 14 year old son was uh, sitting at the table with him uh, and he was looking at some of the reports and uh, in about a half hour, he looked up and he said, dad, I know you did this. And Joel said, you do, who, who did it? And he said, Pam Hub did it. Mm. So, you know, 30 <laughs> minutes after review we the files and you've got a 14 year old who, uh, who Joel will assign a uh, uh, remarkable intelligence level to anyway, but you've got a 14 year old who looks at some of the police files and, and in 30 minutes has identified the, the suspect. Uh, and then you've got, uh, and unfortunately, this you know this was a major case investigation. Uh, they did the standard uh, uh, what is it? Four days, I think that they uh, they'll they'll do an investigation. I think it's four days, three or four days, and then they referred their their uh, findings back to the investigating jurisdiction. So the major case squad did the investigation as they usually do, and then handed it back to the uh, Lincoln County and uh, troy police and uh it went from there but uh yeah i've i th- i think now joel doesn't believe that pam's head injury can explain her conduct and uh because he says there's too much in her past it's money yeah it, she has a
1: money problem
2: you're exactly right Carl. um and um, you know the There's, of course, there's the involvement uh, with the death of her mother, uh, which I don't think anyone can look at and and not find Pam uh, just as uh, as suspicious and uh, as a likely suspect uh, as in Betsy's murder. Um, And um, there there was something and I did not know about this until after we had done the book. But there was something in her background when she lived in Florida, um, and there was a a death of a friend, um, and uh, that is not in the book. Uh, we it may be something that we add when we uh, when the paperback edition comes out next year, uh, along with an update on on Pam's case. Uh, oh, good. Yeah,
0: I'll, I'll mark that down.
2: Yeah. Which Um, is, by the way, which is is proceeding at glacial speed through the the (laughs) courts. Uh, And uh, uh, it's so strange. uh, Not long after she was assigned a public defender, uh, uh, a middle aged man with no previous health uh, uh, problems uh, died of a heart attack. Her her lawyer died. Uh, And I remember looking at Joel and saying, and his response was, No, I don't think she had anything to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uh, uh,
0: what a, what a criminal mind. I mean, uh, fascinating. And that's what you have uncovered in uh, seven books is this, this, uh, you know, everybody's always so shocked, but it's just such patterns and this poor Lewis had to lose his life because of the ineptitude of the courts. Now, uh, did anybody apologize or did anybody get uh, reprimanded for their conduct through this whole process? Did anybody uh, lose a job?
2: No, no, no. uh
1: It never happens.
2: Now the, uh, the state's attorney and the judge, uh, both lost the next election. Uh, but the, uh, and the case was an issue, um, uh, but uh and the, the judge had also been suspended previously for about a six-month period uh this case was not involved in that it was a series of other cases that she botched and uh, uh made a number of uh errors with um and but uh they were both uh, beaten badly in the next election uh however the police uh have uh, the police officers involved uh, uh have uh i think they've changed i don't think any of them still work for the departments they did when this case broke um but they're all still active as far as we know and uh and one of them uh is even teaching at a at a police academy um and what not to do yeah and from what we understand uh uh says uh says very often as soon as his class starts, uh about talks about how guilty Russ is. Oh man. Mm. Yeah.
0: That's really unfortunate. I wondered if there were any civil lawsuits because
2: there were, yeah. Yeah. Uh they they uh Joel and Russ sued uh they sued Lincoln County, they sued uh, the prosecutor, and they sued the uh police officers. Now, Lincoln County and uh, the, the prosecuting attorney were uh, removed from the case because they have uh, uh, pretty much uh, prosecutorial... Uh, uh, immunity? Immunity, thank you. Uh, and uh, uh, as long as they're doing their jobs and not committing crime, uh, it, you can't really prosecute them for their discretion. Uh, however, the police officers um, the insurance companies that represented them did settle uh, out of court for a substantial sum uh, with uh, Russ uh, without uh,
1: was... without admitting wrongdoing.
2: Absolutely, you know how that works. Uh, but but uh, yeah, at least there's something, though. But
0: but you mm-hmm. can't get that time back. You can't get that time. No, back. no.
2: I, it was almost four years that Russ spent behind bars, um, and uh, and of course he's. He's gotten very active with the uh, Innocence Project.
0: Oh, I was just going to ask that. Yeah, that. yeah.
2: Oh. and uh, he become good friends with several other people, uh, Ryan Ferguson um, and uh, some other people who've uh, suffered the same thing. And um, it, very strange that Ryan got out of prison uh, about the time that Russ went in, uh, had been in the same cell block, I think, where Russ ended up um, when he went to uh, Jefferson City. But, uh, but yeah, Russ is very active in that now. And, uh, and of course, nobody is more outspoken than Russ. Uh, (laughs) He doesn't pull any punches. Uh, And, uh, uh, but he, he went through four years uh, and uh, lost his relationship with his uh, stepdaughters and, uh, and all of Betsy's family. Uh, But uh, Russ came out of it. I'm incredibly impressed with the man. Uh, he came through it uh, with a, uh, a a positive outlook and and uh, and a, and a uh, an amazing rebirth uh, when he got out of jail. Uh, that uh, that I think is so admirable. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a strength of character there that's uh, that's pretty remarkable. Well, you Sorry. said
1: that the paperback's coming out sometime. And yeah. you're going to have some new material in it. Do you what do you about the other six books? Are there anything that you've learned about your previous books that you said, oh, I wish I could have put that in there? Uh, nothing dramatic. Uh,
2: of course, you know, we all know that Paula Sims, uh, who was sentenced, uh, you know, that was the very first book, Precious Victims, uh, Paula was convicted of uh, the murder of one of her daughters uh, based on uh, Testimony that included the details of the, the murder of her first daughter. Uh, so she was convicted on the one case, but both cases, you know, clearly uh, were murders by Paula. Uh, and she was sentenced to life without parole. Uh, and uh, within the last year, 18 months, I think the governor commuted her sentence to life, but with the possibility of parole. And she was pretty quickly paroled after that. So Paula is out of prison. Uh, she has no family left. Her ex-husband and her surviving son were killed in an automobile accident while she was in prison a few years ago. Um, and uh, her parents are, are long gone, and I don't think she has any family left. Uh, somebody asked me the other night in appearance how I felt about her parole, and I said it really doesn't bother me as much as it bothers some people. Uh, my co-author and the prosecutor who put her in prison, uh, Don Weber, uh, opposed it and uh, was not very happy about it. On the other hand, I I'm I think I'm a little more philosophical about it. Uh, you know, she's she's no threat to anyone now. Uh, she served what 31 years in prison, something like that. Uh, and uh, uh, has no family left. Uh, I think she's working for some social agency in Central Illinois somewhere now. They, the the people who helped get her out of prison, arranged for a job. Um, so that's you know that's about the only significant change. Well, we still
1: know. don't know who killed John Benet Ramsey.
2: No, we don't. We don't. We sure don't. Uh, that don't
0: is have... so bizarre.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I that was the most difficult book to work on because the case was open. Uh, nobody wanted to talk about it. Uh, I didn't know anybody in Boulder. Uh, I I couldn't go to sources that I knew or or, or who knew me and knew of me. Uh, and uh, I did have the advantage of working with a co-author, who I think is just one of the 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 most remarkable minds, as close to genius level as anyone I know, Cyril Wecht. Uh, Who's not only a forensic pathologist who has done thousands and thousands of autopsies, was involved in all of the Kennedy cases, was involved in Elvis's death, uh, just about any celebrity death you can talk about in the last 30 years, 40 years. Uh, But not only is he a remarkably talented forensic pathologist, he's also a lawyer. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, so he's an underachiever. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, went to a it's, lot it's, of schooling
2: yeah yeah and the guy's just just remarkable uh his whole family's like that his wife is an attorney uh he's got a daughter who's a judge he's got another daughter who's is a is an obstetrician he's got a son who I, he may be a judge now too uh and then i joked with one of his sons he was in uh, communications and I said, oh, yeah, you're like me, you're the black sheep of the family. You know? <laughs> but, uh, and Cyril is just a wonderful, wonderful guy. Uh, and I think did an amazing analysis of the medical evidence in the, in the Jean-Benet Ramsey case. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't think we'll ever, we'll ever know what happened.
0: That's just so bizarre. Well, the, the proliferation of true crime stories has been remarkable, especially in the streaming universe, Netflix and everything. What do you attribute it to? What do you attribute this fascination with true crime?
2: That's, a, that's really an interesting question. And I don't really know other than the fact that, that crimes now are, so, are covered in such depth on, on a national scale. Uh, you know there can be a, a murder in some isolated corner of Washington state out in the woods and uh, suddenly uh, you're inundated with the facts and you get a dateline episode or 48 hours or 2020 and uh, and the, all of the, the the just plethora of uh, of uh, media, uh, exposure that uh, all the different series that that you can see around the clock and uh and I've talked to many many people who who watch those stories uh wh- around the clock as well uh you know yeah and and it, it's funny because I uh, uh once in a while somebody I appeared on a number of those uh, uh, series, uh when I was writing the books in the nineties and once in a while, somebody will come up and say, Hey, I, I, I saw you. uh, I saw you on TV about the, uh, about the Carla Brown case. Uh, and, uh, and you then they always look doing at it. me. Yeah. And then they always look at me like, boy, you were a lot younger then." That <laughs> yeah, was 30 years ago. Yeah. What a friend, a friend once sent me a screenshot. And he said, "I know this guy." And I said, "Yeah, but this the the shot you sent me looks like my son."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think they just had a lifetime movie about Gabby Petito. That's been yeah, one of the more high profile cases. Yeah. And then, yeah. uh, then the one the the Mormon mom the are not the, the I just watched that on HBO, not HBO uh, Netflix, "Sins of Our Mother." what's I that, seen one? that one carl what's that one that's i the, I, don't,
1: I try not to watch true crime stuff that's, the, <laughs> that's the, depressing the two,
0: the two religious fanatics and her kids go missing this is like her fifth husband yeah and he, he was in the church i know sometimes they're hard to get through they really are after well, that, charles that's that's the thing
1: uh how do you not you've written seven books on true crime how do you not get depressed while researching these stories
2: you know I, uh somebody else asked me that the other night, um, I've been able to compartmentalize all of that, I think, um, the, uh, the journalism student publication at SIU, uh, I think after I'd written a couple of books, they featured me in, uh, in one of their, uh, one of their publications, the J student, and, um, And I apologize. I can't remember the writer's name. She did a a terrific job, but, but her opening line was that, uh, that Charles Bosworth has looked into the abyss. And, uh, and that's really true. I mean, I've seen what you keep thinking is the worst possible human conduct. uh, And then somebody always, uh, always one ups them. Um, But uh, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I very early on when I started covering so many trials, and you know, I covered Madison and St. Clair counties for most most of my career, uh, along with uh, federal courts. And uh, I guess you have to learn very quickly that, and, and and I I really liked it. I I really took to it. Um, I guess you have to learn very quickly to be able to set that aside. You know, when you're not sitting there in the courtroom. Um, and I, 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 will say that there were nights when I came home, when I was involved in the Sims case, when I came home and went in and, and stood in uh, in my kids' bedrooms uh, for a few minutes, a few extra minutes, um, and uh, those things do, you know, they affect you. But uh, I don't, I don't know. It's just, just you develop a, a shell, um, and uh, a prosecutor. That I covered very early on, uh, who I thought was magnificent, uh, said that uh, you have to develop some hard bark. And, hard uh, bark. That's a yeah. good
0: way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you were at the Post when there's two cases that I want to bring up that I don't know if they haunt you, but they haunt me, and I didn't even cover <laughs> crime in courts. Um, when I was at the Globe and you were at the Post, the Dennis and I forget his last name, that his wife was burnt in yeah, the car. Yeah, Dennis and
2: Julia. Uh, I've I'm, got I know I'm Alan to- Harris's book, and I can't, but I can't I can't uh, and I saw him one time at Union Station with his parents after he had gotten out of jail. Uh, good and he Lord. faked
0: his own death. Carl, you gotta look this one up. He faked yeah. his own death. I remember that next morning that we were all talking about it at the Globe. And that was before uh, the craziness that is the 24-hour yeah. new I mean, it was a 24-hour news cycle, but not like it is today. Oh no, uh, And then the dad in Columbia, Illinois, that killed his two little boys yeah. and his wife, that was a security guard for Joyce Ministries, Christopher. Oh, was it uh, Dennis Bullock? Dennis Bullock. Dennis Bullock. Good. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Yeah. That one and then this Christopher.
2: Yeah, I can't come up with it either. I didn't cover either his, one of them actually. But well, his uh, dad yeah. was
0: a his dad was a um minister in a small Chris town. Chris Coleman. Chris.
2: There Chris Coleman. you go. Those two. And wish I had your memory.
1: <laughs> those are I, you just needed to rattle around in there a little yeah bit. Right. i
0: know to me those two local cases are very haunting besides the sisters on the bridge and in, in uh saint charles that yes. uh, that whole yeah. thing yeah. i have that book yeah uh, but uh, are there any cases that you covered that still are uh, that you would like to look into uh you know just take another look at
2: or uh Well, you know, there was there was a case uh, that Don and Don Weber and I tried to turn into a book uh, after we did the first three together. Uh, And that was the case of uh, Dr. Engelman, uh, the dentist from South St. Louis, uh, who was a serial killer for fun and profit. Uh, And he ended up killing, uh, committing some murders in Madison County. And one of them involved uh, the woman he had groomed and had married off to uh, a man named Ron Goosewell. And then they killed Ron Goosewell to collect on his insurance. And she was convicted uh, in the case. And ultimately, Engelman pleaded guilty. Uh, but uh, he, uh, the prosecutor who handled that out of Madison County, was. Uh, was for years called the Dean of Prosecutors in Southern Illinois, Robert Trump. Robert E. Lee Trump. And oddly enough, Robert E. Lee does not have any relationship to the, the Confederate general. Uh, they're just family names. Uh, but, uh, You'd think Bob, they
1: wouldn't want to publicize that.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, but uh, Bob was a, a master, uh, and he defeated... Uh, uh, goosewell's attorney uh who was uh help me out here uh carl the uh uh from the old sam shepherd case uh he went by lee uh, oh
0: oh yeah 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 the oh my god he was super famous
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah uh, f. uh lee
0: bailey
1: f
2: lee bailey thank you yes yeah i covered him a couple i would have had that but one of the yeah i, I knew it was- i
1: would have had that one boston yeah.
0: strangler right
2: yes yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh and he and trone became very good friends during the trial uh but uh trone beat bailey and convicted uh, barbara goosewell of the uh of being involved with dr engelman and engelman told trone while he was convincing engelman to plead guilty that that if if the truth ever came out, there would probably be 12 to 14 bodies uh, associated with Engelman. Um, and I and I can think of several right now. Uh, there was a book written about it called Appointment for Death. Uh, I, I wasn't particularly impressed with it, but and Donna and I could have done an entirely different angle on the story. We could have done the Madison County angle because Engelman killed ron goosewell's parents first to fatten up his estate so he could then kill her uh, kill him and split the uh the inheritance with uh with ron's wife who was uh who was an associate of, Eng- of engelman uh fascinating case um and is I, this I, book I number eight no no i you know i backed Gosh, after after Don and I did the first three, so you're probably looking at 1993 or four. Um, we tried to uh, we did a proposal on it, and our editor at the time said it's too old. We can't uh, we can't promote it. Um, and I said, wait a minute, you've got a a, a serial killer who killed um, um, in generations, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was
0: a dentist.
2: Yeah, right. yeah.
1: Call yeah. Netflix. They or Discovery.
2: They might. Yeah
0: you know well, there,
2: there was a there was a tv movie made out of it way way back uh shortly after engelman pleaded guilty and everything um uh, with with an odd cast uh, but uh and it wasn't wasn't particularly good uh, <laughs> but uh yeah that was a case that that uh, that we didn't do that i i really really wanted to do um but i can't think of any others right now that i thought were were worthy of a book and sometimes it's hard to explain to people that, you know, not every murder is a book. <laughs> uh and uh but and I'm looking at a couple of things now that I think will make will make good books. Um uh, and uh just contacted by somebody uh that I may talk to here soon about uh, who's written a book about a a case and uh but he hasn't had any luck moving it. And I think he probably needs either an editor or a co-author. Um uh, so I'm going to be talking to him shortly, but, uh, yeah, there, yeah. there were so many cases there. There was one, uh, Lynn, you jogged my memory. There was, there was a huge drug ring, marijuana ring, uh, back in the nineties called the company. Mm. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that, yeah. uh, was run by one of the leaders of the group was a, uh, an executive from, uh, um, Olin Brass, you know, in, uh, in Madison County,
0: oh, yeah, uh, and,
2: All- and he, and he, yeah, and he ran it, he ran it and organized it like a corporation. And that's why the DEA and the FBI and everybody called it the company. Um, and it was remarkable. Uh, and I covered that from the indictment to the, to the very end. And there was a fascinating character in that case, guy that looked, uh, like, uh, like one of the, the young hotshot actors from the time, but um, who when he was conv- while his trial was underway, uh, he skipped and uh, was uh, was gone for years and years and years and finally showed up at a restaurant in Florida while the local FBI office was having a farewell lunch for one of the agents. Uh, and unbelievably one of the agents, uh, at the lunch recognized, uh, the guy as a, as a fugitive and that's how they caught him. Uh, wow. but this, I mean, this, this organization owned airplanes. They bought an airfield in, uh, Winnett, Missouri and were flying their, uh, their, uh, marijuana shipments into their own airfield on their own airplanes. Uh, then they had, a, had their own pilots, uh, and there were some trials and a lot, a lot of guilty pleas. And there were some trials that were fascinating because uh, some of the guys involved flipped and testified. Um, and I always thought that would make a great book. Again, I think there was a book written by a DEA agent. Um, and I, if I remember right, it was either called high flying or flying high. I can't remember <laughs> which, uh, either one out. works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that was a fascinating case too. Um, uh, And even after they were indicted and uh, getting ready for trial, there were still shipments coming in. Uh, I remember writing a story. I think a guy had just been sentenced and uh, and the company was still operating uh, in his absence. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I I can't really think of any uh, of any cases I had that that I that I wished uh, we could have done a book on uh, other than uh, other than those that we did. Um, I know the, the second book we did, Silent Witness, um, I wasn't sure it was a book until Don sat down and started telling me some of the things I didn't know. I thought I knew the case, uh, and, uh, uh, but uh, he, he told me so many things. That was the one that involved a lot of bite mark evidence, um, which is now a little controversial. Um, and also, uh, it was one of the FBI profiler, John Douglas. I don't know if that name rings a bell. Uh, it was one of his very early uh, successes as, a, uh, as an advisor uh, to the police. Uh, and the advice he gave them after, a, a, after five years uh, of uh, unsuccessful investigation, um, they went to see him. And he just, based on the crime scene photos, uh, laid out a whole map of conduct for the prosecution and the police, uh, which he said would, uh, would flush out the killer. Uh, and indeed it did. Uh, and so it was one of his very early successes. Uh, I don't think anybody outside of, you know, some law enforcement circles really knew who John Douglas was yet. It was before the Mine hunter series and the book Mm -hmm. and all. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. The Mine hunter series. And there's, there's another,
2: there's another genius level mind, uh, the, the Don and I went to Quantico and interviewed him, Ooh. and uh, yeah, and the the behavioral sciences uh, offices were in the basement of at Quantico, and uh, it, this was after Silence of the Lambs, and he was the advisor on Silence of the Lambs, and the character this sense. yeah the character that Scott Glenn plays the FBI supervisor is based on on John oh. Douglas oh
1: okay wow
2: and uh, so they're taking the there's an assistant taking us down to uh, John's office and we get to an elevator and a stairway. And she says, do you want to take the stairs or do you want to take the Jodie Foster elevator? (laughs) Uh, Which They they, apparently they still refer to that as because there's the scene with her getting on that elevator, you know, when she's about to be, she's trying to compose
1: herself before she talks. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: that's
0: right. Uh, oh it's so fascinating to me because now we have such a level of forensic evidence we have forensic uh psychologists yes i i know somebody who just got a phd in forensic psychologist and works at a uh a mental i don't you don't call them Mm. mental hospitals anymore psychiatric hospitals but just the criminal mind what we know and yet we still have these horrific Yeah horrific cases.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know. And, you know, I've had people ask me, you know, like all the things that are happening in St. Louis recently. Um, and people say, you know, how I don't have, a, I don't have a clue what you do. Uh, I don't know what more the police can do. Uh, I, I don't know how you stop it. Uh, when it comes to cases like Paula Sims, I would I've I've always had and to this day still have people say, well, why didn't she give the babies up for adoption? Or, you know, had somebody in her family take them if she didn't want them. And my response is always stop looking for a way to rationalize completely irrational acts. Um and you know, there was a, the long debate over whether Paula Sims was mentally ill or not. My view is that she has to be uh to do anybody. any of that. Yeah, anybody who commits those kinds of crimes has to be mentally ill, but uh, she was not mentally ill to the degree required by Illinois law. uh, To be
1: criminally insane.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where she would be not guilty by reason of mental defect. I think they refer to it now instead Uh, of insanity. Um, And uh, I even after... uh, Andrea Yates, if you yes. recall that case mm-hmm. in Texas, the mother who I think drowned five drowned children. Drowned her kids. Right,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, drove to the, yeah.
2: Yeah, and the guilt, The jury found her not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, and I even wrote an op-ed piece for the Post after I was gone saying that Paula Sims was not Andrea Yates. Andrea Yates was treated for mental illness repeatedly before this happened she talked about it she complained about hearing voices and all of that kind of stuff whereas Paul Sims just said she didn't do it uh, and she made up stories uh, to uh, to protect herself and to deflect uh, suspicion and uh, you know she was able to conform her conduct to the law which is one of the require- requirements requirements. Um, and she was able to appreciate the criminality of her acts because she tried to cover them up. Uh, so she wasn't uh, not guilty by reason of mental defect. Uh, she may have had a very horrible postpartum depression, which is kind of where everybody landed on 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 her condition uh, in the uh, aftermath in the years since then. Um, but uh, that was not the 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 legal defense and she denied to her attorneys and they went they talked to her at great length about about it um, but to be not guilty by reason of insanity you have to admit that you did it uh, and she always said no I didn't do it these two this gunman came in both times and took took my baby uh, but uh, yeah I I don't know how to explain that that kind of conduct. And and I don't know how you could ever prevent it.
1: So we've had 50 KTVI reports. We've had six episodes of Dateline. We've had Dateline podcasts. We've had People Magazine and Discovery yeah. Plus, And <laughs> we've had a mini series. And we've had uh, your book. There are other books. There's a movie allegedly being written. Have we heard everything that we have heard about Pam Hupp?
2: I'd say pretty close. Yeah, um, there uh, there are some things in her background uh, that I would like to get more into uh, than I was able to do in the book, uh, just because of space and time. Um, and I mean, she was a re- had a remarkable background, childhood. She was a difficult person to deal with her whole life. Um, and uh, there there are some unanswered questions. Uh, you know, where did the money go? Uh, you know, she wrote a, a, a large check for almost the amount of the insurance on Betsy, uh, to her son, uh, who now lives in Florida. Um, and th- there is a, a great question of whether anybody else was involved in the actual murder of Betsy, uh, and I, I, don't think we can, we'll ever be able to answer that question either because of the way the investigation was done at the time. Um, so there are, uh, there are questions, and there are things that I would, I, I really wish we could get at, and uh, and and learn more about uh, that would be really difficult to do. But uh, yeah, I this this case has been covered. Uh, stem to stern and uh (laughs) there's this i don't know if you remember this scene there's a scene where uh joel arrives i believe at the jail to interview russ um during the case and uh in the miniseries he gets out of his car and goes around to the trunk and gets out his briefcase and his guitar (laughs) and and joel will be the first to tell you no, I never took the guitar into the jail. <laughs> Dramatic <laughs> he is a, he license. Is a, he is a great guitarist. He has his own band. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, and there, there was a lot of that. In fact, my wife said she got tired of as We were watching the miniseries. She got tired of me looking over at her and sighing and going, that didn't happen like that. <laughs> they never said that. They didn't do that. Joel didn't do that, you know. Uh, but, uh yeah. As, as you said, Carl, grammatic license. And, uh, uh, and the, the, the thing is you, you know, you can't libel a convicted felon and, you know, there's all of those kinds of things. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah. And I'm, I, as I understand it, there's going to be more dateline coverage, um, I guess around the, you know, if anniversary. If goes, yeah. When she goes to trial, um, which is going to be a while uh that's like i said earlier that's moving at glacial speed it's it's really really s- slow process she's,
1: she's already in prison
2: yeah she's doing life without already yeah so she's in no hurry she's not going anywhere is uh, she
0: is is she still married
2: no no they were divorced shortly after uh she was arrested
0: okay uh, i was yeah i must have missed that
2: because yeah and I as lucky. I understand it, her husband and his new wife still live in the house where she killed Gumpenberg. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> well, yeah.
1: I want I I want to say this is the first time, Charlie, that you and I have spoken. But it's yep. the not it's not the first time that I have heard your voice because huh? every morning when I come in at quarter to four, I'm listening to George Norrie because he's. The lead in uh, to the Mark Cox Morning Show. Well, it's it's yeah. George Norrie, and then it's uh, America's first news, then it's the Mark Cox Morning Show.
2: Uh-huh. But
1: you have been a frequent guest with I our have. friend George Norrie.
2: Yes, I have. Yeah, George and I have, have spent a lot of time talking about the uh, Jean Bonnet Ramsey case. And <laughs> uh, some George
1: George's show is amazing in its own right because it is. It's a lot, it's all under the same umbrella, but there are different there are different spikes on that umbrella, which some people <laughs> some people are okay with and some people are not okay with. It's right. Just, right. It's, if you've not listened to George Nori's show, it's the former Art Bell show. Mm-hmm. And George has just made it his own.
2: He has indeed. Yeah. And yeah, you know, well, he was
1: the former news director at Channel Five. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And he was also a Flashman Hiller where i was for a while so uh yeah you'll find
1: you'll I, find I've him at the cigar him, right? bar at the ritz when he's in
2: town oh really that's yes. interesting yeah
0: <laughs> oh wow. wow well when i first covered uh radio for the st louis journalism review back in uh, the year 2000 to 2004 uh he i talked to him because he was doing that show locally mm-hmm. it was local and well, uh, he,
1: he has a house here and he has a house in parts unknown.
0: Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was, that was saying, well, um, Charlie and I go way back. I mean, we worked at different places, but we had the very first Oh, uh, my editor was his editor, Rube Yelvington, yes. the late, great Rube Yelvington. Oh. And, and he, he taught us everything. We...
2: <laughs> learned, yeah. I, I, I learned more with him in a few months when I interned for him than, than I did in four years of college.
0: Oh, I know. We used to say that too. And, and those of us that started with the little weeklies with him, yeah. uh, he, he would tell us, Carl, this is pre voicemail. Because yeah. this is, we're talking 1978, 79. Oh, so there, there'd be a note on your desk. Yeah. A yeah. pink yeah. note. Yeah. We We, <laughs> he would not accept, could not be reached for comment.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. So what is, the, what was, what line were you supposed to use? We were supposed to keep calling them,
2: mm-hmm. keep
0: calling and them. And find a way to reach them. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. so it, that was hard to do back then. So I know, yeah. so we have old school training, which is what I was, which was what I was going to say, but those, those days before the uh, technical revolution.
2: Find be <laughs>
1: unfindable.
2: When I started at the Metro East Journal, we used typewriters.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at Rubes, yeah, sure. And, and uh, not electric
2: typewriters. They wrote <laughs> royal manuals.
0: No, uh, we would have to, I would have to come back from a council meeting, a school board meeting, and I would type it up and then I would leave it on Rubes' desk. And uh, they, uh, that the cut and paste Carl yeah. was real scissors and tape.
1: Yeah. yeah well when i started in radio it was reel to reel and that was cut and paste also mm-hmm. electronics are so much better and cleaner <laughs> oh yeah
0: oh yeah well i wish you very best of luck and i look forward to hearing uh about your next case but also more about the pam Huff case because i think that's just going to be uh endlessly fascinating
2: well people we put together primarily joel put together a uh powerpoint um uh, that he presented at one of the, uh, true crime conventions. Um, uh, and I think he's going to show it, uh, Monday night. Uh, and that's fascinating. It's, it's really well done. And, uh, uh and he had some fun with it too, you know, pointing out some of the, the odd things that happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I've, I've never appeared at the, at the festival before. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Great well. event.
0: Well, best of luck, and uh, we'll be looking for your byline. I guess you don't call them a byline if you're an author, do
2: you? No, I guess not. Although I, I don't know, I, I, I probably still would.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, take care and enjoy. Thanks, the Charlie. Lovely. Okay, fall thanks, we Carl.
2: Have. Thank you, and thank you, Lynn. Great talking to you. Yeah, nice great talking to you to. too. Take care. Uh huh. Bye bye.
1: So, Lynn, we uh have been amazing conversation with Charlie. And we don't have time for anything else. But then again, there was nothing else this week going on that you saw Till.
0: No, I didn't. I, I miss it because of obligations. But the only movie that is opening Friday, October 28th, is Decision to Leave. It's a Korean thriller by Park Chung Wook. And he is the guy that we, uh, uh, his film *Handmaiden*. We picked St. Louis Film Critics picked it in 2016 as our favorite international feature. This is a femme fatale, through a murder mystery love story involving a detective and a the prime suspect in her husband's murder. Oh. and it is fascinating. I loved it. Uh, uh, uh Park Cheng wooks idol is alfred hitchcock and the movie vertigo is the one that convinced him to be a director and he has got a remarkable visual style he won best director at Cannes for this in the summer and he also his claim to fame is this movie called old boy oh yeah that
1: is a very that's a very famous uh korean action film
0: right and he won the uh uh grand jury prize for that so
1: spike lee remade it
0: yeah so this has a very fantastic visual style and i it's worth seeing because of the visual style but i love the engagement of the two actors and i just like the way he films so it's going to be in the discussion i'm not saying it's the best uh foreign film of the year but it's going to be in the discussion for international features i think it just got a bunch of gotham awards but we're on this track right now carl where we are uh, doing the award season movies ahead of time So we'll have a string of those. Because of all the
1: film festivals.
0: Right. So the the uh, St. Louis. I mean, this movie came
1: out in Cannes and won in May. So people have seen this movie
0: already. Right. But it's at the Plaza Frontenac starting today. And it is in
1: Korean and Mandarin. So if you are turned off by that, which you shouldn't be, just be forewarned. And it is more than two hours. So, but it's less than two and a half hours.
0: Well, it zips along, unlike Tar.
1: <laughs> and unlike, uh, what, what was the uh, Asian film from a couple years ago that we were all supposed to like and you didn't?
0: Drive my car. That was it.
1: I tried when three you times. Never, wasn't that one three hours?
0: It was. And then everybody who liked it told me, well, it doesn't get good to the last third.
1: <laughs> oh, the third hour.
0: Yeah. So uh, that's why I could not get through the first two. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I still have to go back and watch it because I feel guilty. I never did finish it, but I didn't review it either because I didn't finish it. So right. See, you know. But but I was like, oh, I can't take this anymore. It was like droning talk that made you want to mm-hmm. fall asleep. And yeah. anyway, so that's it. But then I guess because of Halloween, we have the Slash Fest at the mm-hmm. Skyview Drive-In, and yeah, they-, they have they
1: they have a family version. But they're also showing on the family screen when they're done with the family films, they're showing Rocky Horror Picture Show.
0: (laughs) Right. Well, they figure the little kids will be gone or asleep. Yeah. Because aren't they showing Hotel Transylvania and Gremlins? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I think
1: Gremlins 2.
0: And then the other, which is good. Gremlins 2 is good. Which Um, is
1: which is totally different tone from Gremlins 1. Gremlins 2 is a, a satire on commercialism.
0: So we've got that and we have um I'm going to Legends and Lanterns at Saint in Charles. Saint Charles to see that because I know some people performing. And uh there's just all sorts there's boo of boo at
1: the zoo. I went to Grant Sylvania last week at uh Grant's farm.
0: And, and so, so there's fantastic. all fantastic. So that's why there's no movies opening. Well, see here, here's everybody- what's
1: going on. If Let me tell you this about Grand Sylvania this weekend. Not only do you have to pay for parking, but you have to pre-buy a ticket for the train. That's not the case with Fall Fest. Fall Fest, you're just paying for the parking. But Grand Sylvania, you have to do uh, the parking and the ticket. So if you have one, but not the other, you are going to be screwed like someone I know last weekend. And also then... Grant's Farm is going to announce what they're doing for Christmas after Halloween is over.
0: Oh, wow. Well, speaking of Christmas, if you want an alternative to all the Halloween stuff, you can watch Turn Countdown. Turn on the Hallmark Channel. Yeah, it's Countdown to Christmas. Yeah, I know. They started that last week. Oh, so upsetting. Right, so every day is a new Christmas movie, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then also uh, going back to... Sprite Fest type things. There's a movie called Fresh Hell. Frankie Campaletti talked about it when he was here with us. It
1: won their thing last year. Right. It won the Haunted Garage Festival.
0: Right. And it 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 reappeared this year. Well, now it is streaming on Peacock. Oh, good. So if you want to watch an interesting horror film, it is funny but gory, if that makes sense. Yes. And so, uh, yeah. Peacock and Peacock streaming, and you can get it on Redbox with the ad streaming, but you can also pay on Amazon two ninety nine. dollars
1: well, that's not, if you have Amazon money, spend it. Lynn, where can we find you on the socials and the radio?
0: I am on all the socials. I'm on KTRS every Thursday night after 10 p.m. with Ray Hartman. I did some uh, documentaries this week, including, I got to tell you about this uh, HBO short, real fast, Carl. 38 at the garden. It is about Lynn's sanity. It is about oh. when Jeremy Lynn burst on the scene in 2012. The New York Knicks. Mm-hmm. It's about Asians. Stereoty- Back when the
1: Knicks were good.
0: Yeah. It's about Asian stereotypes and it's about the rise in hate crimes, but it concentrates. It's 38 minutes. Interesting. Just so, like his number m- minutes yeah. and watch 38 at the garden on HBO. And right. I'm in Webster Kirkwood times. And where are you, Carl?
1: You can find me at underscore Carl, the intern. I'll be doing a horn test tomorrow night, six o'clock game. And you can hear me on the Mark Cox morning show Monday through Friday on 97 to one FM talk. Also, you can hear me on KMOX on the weekends for second Amendment radio and the great outdoors. Dave Murray gives his, fall, soon to be winter forecast for hunting season. And this weekend, we're also talking to somebody from the Missouri Department of Conservation where you can see the leaves changing color in the Missouri and Illinois areas.
0: Oh, wow. Well, very cool. And don't miss our website, poplifestl.com, because Chaz Adams has reviews of the St. Louis Symphony. I have theater reviews and we have all the latest in what's going on in the arts community and film. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Happy fall. Happy Halloween. Go Blues.